Money FM 89.3. Best of drive time. Money FM 89.3. Good evening. It is drive time. Elliot Dank at Timothy Go and Chua Tin. Time now for Market View. As much as we'd love to talk about the upcoming UFC fight between Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, no, we are going to talk a little bit about leadership changes at TikTok. Uh, layoffs at Ford as well. Uh, quite interesting stuff. But first, uh, Tin Tin. Closing bell. Um, I don't really think Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg is going to fight in front of everyone. I hope they do. I, I think they're going to probably sign an MOU or something, but that's just, just my thoughts, Sam, I guess. Uh, so, back to the Singapore stock market. Mm. Singapore shares dipped today after global markets ended mixed overnight. So, in early trade, the Straits Times Index was down 0.1% to 3,219 points after nearly 39 million securities changed hands in the broader market. Now, let's take a look at the closing numbers. The STI closed down 0.96%. We're looking at 3,191 points. In terms of value turnover, that's 1.19 billion Sing dollars. Now, gainers trailed losers 209 versus 341. Top advances, Sri Trunk Gloves, DigiLife Tech and Engrow. And top decliners, Jardin Cycle and Carriage, JMHUSD and DBS. Now, in terms of companies to watch today, we do have Sabana Industrial REIT. And that's because it's managed has criticised activist investor Quartz Capital's uh, proposal for the REIT to use an internal manager instead. So, um, Sabana REIT basically warned unit holders that this may destroy the value of their investment. Now, meanwhile, we are seeing a number of international news making headlines, including Japan's inflation numbers, leadership changes at TikTok and layoffs at Ford. Now, for more, let's speak to Shaker Jaiswal, Head of Equity Research from RHB Bank Singapore. Shaker, welcome to the show. Hey, hi, Tantan. Good to be on the show. And great to have you on board as well. And let's start with the Singapore stock market as usual. How did the STI fare today? Well, you know, across Asia-Pacific, markets were lower today. Uh, Investors are still trying to digest the inflation data that came out of Japan. Uh, We have the same data here in Singapore. There were flash estimates from Japan's manufacturing activity. And also there's an ongoing expectations of a rate hike, right? So Japan's inflation data came in a tad higher than what the market was expecting. The manufacturing PMI for Japan is now indicating a contraction. Uh, Singapore inflation is is heading in the right direction, heading lower for the rest of the year. But on the rate front is where uh, we are getting a bit more anxious with Mm. the Fed chair continued his two-day testimony yesterday. He reiterated his message that future rate hikes are quite likely. And then we had a surprise from the Europe where UK and Norway central banks actually delivered a supersized 50 basis point hikes yesterday. Yeah. So, you know, Singapore was not spared. Uh, it was a sea of red. Almost all STI stocks were down, especially the member stocks of the STI index were down, with the exception of SGX and Singtel, and both were flat. So, as you mentioned earlier, STI was down about 1% from yesterday's close. Uh, Sheikha, in terms of the biggest movers, uh, did any stand out for you? Well, for us, it was DBS. Uh, it, I mean, one of the largest uh, market caps out there. It fell about 1.2% today. Uh, not completely surprised here. We actually had a report that went out this morning to investors. Uh, we had highlighted in the report that, you know, we expect the share price to remain range-bound, at least in the near term. And we highlighted factors that, you know, we are seeing a weak Singapore economy. There's a likelihood of a technical recession in the second quarter Hmm. and also uncertainty around the global economic outlook. So near term, yes, we are expecting rate heights to go up. But the 24-25 outlook now seems a bit more risky. So we actually lowered our estimates for DBS about 10 to 12 percent for the next two years. 
And I mean, there is also news about MAS latest penalty that was imposed on DBS. Uh, not material in terms of earnings impact, but it does again highlight DBS's operational shortcomings, right? So we took the opportunity to lower the target price as well from mm. 570 to 33, and we are still maintaining a neutral rating on the stock. Among other names, probably First Resources and Nanofilm Tech uh, that yeah. caught our attention. Uh, First yep. Resources was down about four percent. And Nanofilm tanked about 5.5 percent. Both actually came on the back of uh, broker downgrades. Oh, what about uh, uh, Singapore's core inflation easing to 4.7 percent uh, on year in May? Do you think the markets have factored this in, uh, Shikhar? Well, you know, uh, this is the lowest number in 11 months, uh, and this is the number that you know the central bank watches quite closely. And it was almost in line with the economist forecast as captured by Bloomberg survey. Now, in its announcement, the MS did note that you know global supply chain frictions and consumer goods inflation in advanced economies have continued to ease. Uh, energy and food commodity prices have also moderated further. So, as a result, prices in Singapore's imported goods have continued to decline year on year. Uh, this slowing inflation pressures reinforces our forecast uh, for the MS to keep its policy parameters unchanged in mm. its upcoming October meeting. Mm-hmm. And the MS, which uses usually the exchange rate as a main policy tool, has already paused in the April after five moves since October 2021. Yeah. So you know we are keeping our inflation expectations, both headline and core, at four percent, which is actually lower than what the government is guiding for. But mm-hmm. just highlight here, you know, we remain mindful of potential sticky inflation pressures in the near term. Uh, led by potentially higher agricultural prices on the back of an El Nino weather condition in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Separately, uh, you know, recent OPEC's decision to cut collective oil output uh, into 2024 by about yeah. 1.4 million barrels per day, this may inject an upside risk to current oil prices, which is against our year-end Brent forecast of what U- 90 US dollars per barrel. Mm, if you're just tuning in, we're now speaking to Sheikha Jaiswal, head of equity research at RHB Bank Singapore. And Sheikha, let's very quickly zoom in on uh, some of the companies to watch. We do have Sabana Industrial REIT, uh, the manager criticizing activist investor Quartz Capital's proposal for Sabana REIT to use an internal manager instead. Uh, what does it mean for a REIT to use an internal manager? How do you read into this? Right, I, I wouldn't get into the details of yeah. what the discussion between those two are going on, but I'll try to simplify it. So you know, an internally managed REIT would have managers in house as employees who would take the investment decisions. In an externally managed REIT, you would hire a third party manager to make those investment decisions. Now, the key concern or the key question is always about uh, the conf- potential conflict of interest, right? So, an external REIT manager earns a fixed percentage of the AUM as fee. Additionally, there's an incentive fee that manager can unlock by hitting a predetermined uh, performance goals. So in terms of internal managed REIT, you know, obviously the pro is you don't have an external guy trying to just bump up the AUM just to make more fees or trying to undertake an acquisition or a sale just to ensure they meet the performance goals. So that conflict of interest can be avoided. But obviously there's a downside. You actually are hiring people in-house. You have probably a less experienced team. You have to build your own infrastructure So that's that's a downside there. While an external managed guy could probably give you a much better experience and can bring in more analytical capabilities. But just to quickly highlight, most and I would emphasize the word mm. most, Singapore REITs have external managers, and you know an internalized REIT management function does not necessarily translate to higher DPU as compared to an external REIT manager. And this would ultimately depend on how efficiently will the REIT be managed, whether it is an internal or an external manager. In all, I mean, when it comes to investors, they ideally should, and they usually do vote with their feet. So they should invest in vehicles that are good performers and not so much because they're internally or externally managed.
Okay, and let's take a look at some of the news-making headlines today, some of the international news, in fact. We have Japan's inflation numbers, core consumer inflation exceeded forecasts in May, and meanwhile, the so-called core-core index, which strips away the effect of fresh food and fuel, that rose 4.3% in May, which is the biggest increase since uh, June 1981. Is this sufficient for the BOJ to move away from that ultra-loose monetary policy, though? That's actually a very good point, you know, because there are two parts to that equation. One is the food prices, which was the largest contributor to the inflation. The other is energy prices. Now, energy prices has a technicality in there. There are subsidies being rolled out, and that will probably remain uh, the same way going forward. But the critical question is whether the food prices are coming off. So there was a report that was pushed out, uh, which measured about 3,500 food products and their prices, which I expected to see an increase in June and July. But eventually that should taper off as we get into the second half of the year. So, you know, Friday's overall CPI reading for Japan uh, remained well above the bank's 2% target. But, you know, mm-hmm. the central bank has repeatedly signaled that it will not tighten policy in the near term. And the inflation is likely to retreat further in the coming months. I mean, as I mentioned, it's largely based on moderating food prices. In addition, you know, it seems the demand aid inflation that the Bank of Japan wants to see is still absent. So this probably gives us a reason to believe that the central bank will maintain the stimulus for quite a while yet. Mm, so you're saying that even though the core core is at the highest since June uh, 1981, we are still not seeing that kind of traction going on in the Japanese economy for it to pivot away. Right. Especially on the demand side, yes. Okay. And let's move on to some corporate news for today. Uh, Shekhar, we're seeing some leadership changes at TikTok. Uh, COO stepping down. We have this Walt Disney veteran taking the role of Chief Brand and Communications Officer. There's a Chief of Staff becoming the Head of Operations. Why are we seeing a leadership reshuffle right now? Right. I mean, you know, it's, it's very hard to pinpoint a very specific reason, yeah. but you know, the operating chief is leaving to pursue entrepreneurial ambitions. But, you know, she would still remain a strategic advisor to the company. And I think this recent announcements are an attempt to manage the rising question about TikTok's future in the U.S. The company mm-hmm. has been in constant controversy, uh, mainly over concerns around its ownership uh, by ByteDance. It has faced a new round of intense pressures to convince U.S. lawmakers that its user data and algorithm aren't subject to Chinese law. But you also need to look at uh, who is coming in and what they bring in in terms of pedigree. So, you know, uh, Walt Disney veteran uh, Zenia Muka uh, will take on the new role of the TikTok's chief brand and communications officer. She has been advising the CEO on how to handle the U.S. criticisms over the app's ties to China. And during her two decades at Disney, she served as the same communication chief, overseeing a portfolio that ranged from geopolitical matters to fan relations. Mm. But the new chief operating head, uh, Adam Presser, who's also the earlier chief of staff, We'll continue to run the business as usual. So we'll be responsible for content and user operations. We'll lead companies' project management. And mm-hmm. since joining TikTok uh, 20, in 2022, which is last year, uh, mm-hmm. Adam actually worked on TikTok's efforts to safeguard the data in Europe. Okay. It was called the Project Clover. Mm-hmm. And he actually worked in supporting government relation efforts and worked on strategic planning. So yeah looks like a good fit. From TikTok, let's talk about Ford very quickly before we let you go. Ford reportedly preparing for a new round of layoffs for salaried workers in the US, but also at the same time, we know that the Biden administration intends to lend up to 9.2 billion US dollars to a Ford venture with South Korea's SK On to build new plants in the country. How do you read into these developments though? Well, you know, the current round of layoffs is not new. They have done it in the past, uh, but it's coming in line with the broader effort to streamline their operations and to reduce costs. 
I mean, the ongoing management of the business is clearly aligning with its global staffing and future business plans as it tries to remain cost competitive. You know, the industry is evolving. Tesla has changed the game completely, and the yeah. influx of Chinese EV manufacturers is it putting more pressure now. So Ford has actually more work to do than its competitors to get its cost in line. Uh, it's trying to spend billions of dollars on the transition to EV, but the costs are still a pain point. So by mid-decade, it aims to cut about at least $3 billion in annual costs through mm-hmm. a variety of mechanisms. I mean, they're trying to tackle high warranty costs, reducing complexity through its businesses. You know, the CEO actually spotlighted the need to root out waste in its gas engine vehicle operations. And mm-hmm. the majority of the oper- profits actually comes from this business. Now, this transition to EV uh, is logical. It's, it's going to happen. So the announcement of the U.S. government uh, program, which is designed to finance futuristic energy mm. businesses, giving a conditional loan of $9.2 billion, is not a surprise. Mm. They're actually funding construction of three battery factories, which actually fits very well with Ford's plan to transition to EVs. Mm. Few factories will eventually supply Ford's expansion into EVs and are already under construction. Now, Ford plans to make as many as, I think, 2 million EVs by 2026, which is a huge increase from roughly about 130,000 what they produced last year. Also, to keep in mind, if Ford's cars and SUVs are made with domestic batteries, Mm -hmm. they'll be eligible for billions of dollars in incentives, which is embedded in something known as the Inflation Reduction Act, $370 billion uh, clean energy funding. The U.S. government will subsidize the manufacturing of batteries and the buyers could actually qualify for additional tax rebates up mm. to about $7,500 so, per vehicle. Yep. So in short, it's a little bit like uh, all stars aligned for Ford and the road ahead. Uh, is it right in short just before we let you go? Yeah, that's right. All right. Thanks a lot, Shaker. That was Shaker Jaiswal, Head of Equity Research at RHB Bank Singapore. Thank you very much for the insights. Thank you. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.